The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here And it is great to be with you uh, if you are a guest or visitor, welcome. We're glad that you're here, and um, I just want to remind you all, as Tobias did, and and invite you as well to our 4.30 candlelight service this afternoon. So we'd love to have you return and as we uh, celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus. Um, But but before uh, this afternoon, before 4.30 and candlelights and and, uh, that service, we have one last uh, sermon in this series in Advent. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we'll project the passage on the screens. And uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible and uh, you're not sure where Revelation is, this is an easy one. Uh, it's the second last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21. So you should be able to find it very quickly. But uh, this is the last Sunday in the season of Advent. And uh, if you've been with us the last three weeks, then you know that we've, uh, we're tackling Advent a little bit differently this year than we have in the past. Historically, we've spent Advent looking at the coming of Jesus, this first coming, his birth. And so we've done this by uh, looking at some of the birth narratives and the gospel accounts, or we've gone even before, gone further back in history before his birth and looked at the prophetical books that were pointing to his coming. That's what we've done in the past, and and we did that a little bit the first week, right? When we're in Galatians chapter 4, and we heard that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And so that first Sunday, we looked at his coming, his first advent, but since then, we've been looking to his second advent. So we're not looking back simply with gratitude, we're also looking forward with anticipation at his second coming. Right? And so we've seen, as we've gone through the various passages, we've seen the timing of his coming, right? We don't know when he's coming, so we simply have to be prepared. And we've seen the manner of which, in which he's going to come, right? He's going to come with the trumpet of God and with the, the call of the archangel and the cry of command, and we will meet him. And we've seen that that should stir in us hope. So that's where we've been. Well, we've got one Sunday left this morning, and this morning we're going to look at the renewal that his second coming brings. And to do that, we look at Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. So if you would, uh, follow along in Revelation 21. This is a vision given to John the Apostle. He's recounting it for us so that we would have an understanding of what the end will bring. Beginning in verse 1. John writes, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be, will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, if you would turn over to Revelation 22, beginning in verse 17, it says this, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of, this, of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would meet with us now and that you would help us to turn our eyes to that day when our Lord Jesus would come and that you would stir in our hearts that cry, come, Lord Jesus. But until you do come, we pray that you would meet with us, you would guide us, you would direct us, and you would do that very thing now. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I think it goes without saying <clears throat> that we love a happy ending, right? We love a happy ending. It's, it's hard to imagine to, to re-watch a movie over and over again or to go back to a favorite book and keep reading it over and over again. It's hard to imagine returning to stories that don't have happy endings, right? I mean, why would we want that? We, we want things to come together. We want there to be resolution. We want redemption, Right? We want all the strings, all the, the little details, we want them to be tied up in a nice, neat little bow. We want the happy ending. Right? We instinctively look for it. We look for it, and, and we, we long for it, and we hope that it will come. I mean, think about the stories that we're accustomed to, the movies right? that we watch. Think about the Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings, if Frodo is defeated right? And he doesn't destroy the ring of power, and darkness comes over Middle-earth, and evil just abounds and abounds and abounds. Well, we wouldn't want to watch that movie, would we? <laughs> right? Or, or uh, if, if we turn to uh, Star Wars and the cultural phenomenon that it was, it, it wouldn't have been a cultural phenomenon if, if Lord Vader and the dark side would have won, right? And no one would go and watch the prequel to The Hunger Games if President Snow killed Katniss. And if George Bailey had never been born, It's a Wonderful Life would be far less wonderful. Right? We know this. Because the ending wouldn't be happy anymore. We long for that happy ending. We want it. And we want it not just in our fictional stories, in our books, in our movies, but we long for it in our lives. We long for it in our lives because this desire for a happy ending, it is woven into the fabric of the world. It's woven into the fabric of our lives. We know that we need resolution. We know that we are in need of redemption. We know that we long for a happy ending. And so we look for it. We look for it anywhere that we can find it. Right? I mean, think about all the places that we can look to try and find a happy ending, to find resolution and redemption in this world, right? We can turn and look to ourselves, right? To humanity. We can look to humanity because, as Joseph Liebman once wrote, we see the infinite potential of man. So we could look to ourselves. 
Or we could turn our attention to technology and science and, and the promise that somehow, in some way, they will do away with all of our discomfort. Or maybe we just throw up our hands in resignation and decide that the happy ending is really just a pipe dream. It's a pipe dream that we're using to numb ourselves to reality, and so we live only for today. We could turn to one of these things or many others, but the truth is, is that none of these, none of these are enough. None of these will produce and give us what we're longing for because humanity, it fails. And today will give way to tomorrow. And technology, as great as it might be, can only go so far. No, what we are in need of is the true happy ending. And that's what Revelation promises us. It assures us there's a better day awaiting us. We didn't read all of chapter 22, but if we had, we would have heard three times Jesus say, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. Now, uh, soon is a relative word, isn't it? <laughs> it's a relative word. When we hear soon, right? Like, when's dinner going to be ready? Soon, we think, oh, that means like 10 minutes, right? It's going to be on the table. We're going to be ready. We're going to eat, right? We don't think soon means a day, a week, a month, a year, right? That doesn't feel soon anymore. That feels long. And so when we hear Jesus say, I'm coming soon, maybe we start to wonder, like, it's been a few thousand years, Jesus. <laughs> like, soon? Really? But, but honestly, like, what's a couple thousand years in the scope of eternity? I mean, that's soon, isn't it? He's coming. He's coming soon. And, and what he's telling us is that we can bank on it. That it is assured, right? In verse 5, we're told these words are trustworthy and true. That he's coming soon, and when he comes, he's going to bring the happy ending. He's going to bring renewal, right? Verse 5, he goes on, Behold, I am making all things new. You see, when Jesus comes, whenever soon might be, when Jesus comes, he is bringing the happy ending that we're wanting because in his coming, at his second advent, Jesus is bringing renewal. He's bringing a renewed place. That's where our passage began. Did you see it in verses 1 and 2? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay, now when we think about the coming of Jesus, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you think about his return, what we think about often, where we go in our minds, is to the fact that our sin will be no more, right? And there will be no more death and no more pain and no more mourning. That's where we go in our minds, and rightfully so, we should. And we're going to get there in a minute. But notice where John began. Where did John begin? You see, John is telling us that Jesus' coming isn't just about us and our relationship with God. It is, okay? So you heard me say that. It is, and it's also about God's creation. That our eternal abode is not this disembodied, ethereal sort of a place, but it's physical, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to here. 
It's sort of like last week. You remember last week in our passage, we were told that Jesus is going to come and that when he comes with the trumpet of God and with the cry of command and the voice of the archangel, when he comes, right, all those who are dead in him will rise and those who are left who are still alive will also rise and will meet him in the air and then we'll come back, right? We keep coming to this place because this is the new Jerusalem the new heavens and the new earth, it comes down. This is what what is being described here is renewal. Not erasing, not starting from scratch, right? The words are, I am making all things new, not I am making new things. It's renewal. This place. And y'all, this shouldn't surprise us. Because this is the expectation and the trajectory of the New Testament. Do you remember way back in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, in that beautiful chapter, he talks about the creation. And he says of the creation that it's under a curse and it's in bondage and it is groaning and longing for the day of Christ's return. And it's longing for the return because when Christ returns, Paul says this, The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So you hear what Paul's saying. When Adam sinned, the creation was cursed. But when Jesus returns, it will be renewed. It will be renewed. Now hearing this, You know, you you might be wondering, as we read through the passage, you might be wondering, yeah, but what about verse 1? Because it says, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, right? I mean, that sounds like eradication. That sounds like erasing, right? So how does that line up? Well, I think what we need to see is that it's not the eradication of all things. We already heard, I'm making all things new. We've heard the creation will be released from bondage. Now, what I think verse 1 is getting at is the afflictions and burdens that are upon creation will be no more. It's like in 2 Peter, where the apostle Peter talks about a cleansing fire in Jesus' coming, a cleansing fire where the dross of the fall will be burned up, and all that will be left is what is true and good and beautiful and right. A new heaven and new earth where the groaning under bondage is a distant echo fading from our memory. That's what Jesus brings. Renewal. Renewal of place, a place where mountains and trees, streams and cities are no longer burdened by the fall. It's kind of like at the end of the last battle. So you're if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, you've maybe read his stories, Narnia stories, and The Last Battle, which is the last book in that story. It's the last book if you read it chronologically. I know that, you know, there's different ways to read it, so please, please don't email me later. I know some of you probably have strong opinions about this, but regardless, the, the last battle is, the last battle is uh, at the end, particularly, giving us a depiction of the next world. And there's this scene where Lucy, one of the the daughters of Eve, who is a queen of Narnia, looking into the next world, she is dwelling in the new heavens and new earth, and she says this, she goes, those hills, the nice woody ones and the blue ones behind, aren't they very like the southern border of Narnia? And yet they're not like. They're different. 
They have more colors on them, and they look farther away than I remembered, and they're more, they're more, oh, oh I don't know. And there's this amazing scene where, where she's seeing, you know, mountains and trees, and she's seeing this space that was familiar to her, but it, it was so different, and, and she couldn't find the words to express what she was seeing, right? And so she's struggling to find those words. They're like, I, I, I don't know. And then Diggory, her friend, interjects and says, they're more like the real thing. And y'all, I can't fully grasp that completely. Like, I, fully, I, I can't get my mind fully around that. That there is going to be discontinuity in the new heavens and new earth, right? Things that won't survive the purifying fire of Jesus' return. But, but there's going to be continuity. Water. No longer affected by the fall. I mean, like, what will that taste like? Or the, the sound of leaves rustling, and they're no longer mourning, but they're only rejoicing? What will that sound like? Or what will roses, no longer burdened by the fall, what will they smell like? Can you all imagine that? More real. Mountains and trees the wind and the leaves, somehow they will be more real because Jesus is renewing this place. He's renewing this place. When he comes, he renews the place and he also restores a people. That's what we see in verses 3 through 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Now listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. You all hear that? He will wipe away our tears. And this wiping away is not momentary until the next tear forms in our eyes. No, he is describing a future where there is no place for tears. Where they will be no more. Tears will never be shed and pain and mourning and death, they will be no more. These are the former things. The qualities of this world, but not the qualities of the next. That's the promise of what God does at Christ's return. It's not we that wipe away the tears. Did you see that? It's not we who do away with death, but this is God's doing. And he is doing what we never could have done ourselves. He is fully renewing us. Bodies and souls, minds and hearts, free from sin and the weight of the fall. First John describes it as we will be like Christ because we will see him as he is. Y'all, think about that. Eyes that will no longer weep. Bodies that won't get sick. Relationships that will never have to say, I'm sorry in, because they'll be healed. I mean, can y'all, like, knees that don't ache? That sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> right? And we won't need glasses anymore because our eyes can see clearly. And when we breathe, our lungs fill fully. That's what's promised to us. 
That is what we will be, a renewed people. Can you imagine that? A renewed people, a restored people in a renewed place with a consummated presence. Verse 3 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be <clears throat> excuse me, with them as their God. God will be with us. He will dwell with us. Now, now maybe you hear that and you start to wonder, you're like, but, but Penny, isn't God with us now? Right? I mean, you know your Bibles, and so you're thinking, well, Matthew 28, Jesus said with some of his last words, right? Behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so if, if he's going to dwell with us then, but he's also with us now, then how is that dwelling then in the future better than it is now, right? Maybe you're wondering that. Maybe I'm introducing ideas in your head, right? Like I keep doing this every week. I keep interjecting ideas that maybe you don't need to worry about, but, but maybe you're thinking that, right? How is this going to be better than what we know now? You know, it's true that Christ does dwell with us. It is true that by the means of the Spirit, he is with us. But what else is with us? Sin. Right? So God dwells with us and sin dwells with us as well. And there is a competition that's occurring in our hearts. In fact, the way the New Testament describes it is that there is a battle taking place between the spirit and the flesh for our hearts, and it's going on right now. Right now, our, my flesh and God's spirit are waging war against itself, and, and the spirit will win, right? God has the victory. He wins the battle, but, but yet there's still sin. And so what is going to come, this consummated presence is dwelling with God and there is no sin to get in the way. It will be a better presence. We have presence now, but we will have a consummated presence without sin. It's kind of like the difference between engagement and marriage. Okay, so think about it like this. When you get engaged, right, engagement's wonderful. You're not dating anymore. You're now engaged, right? There's the promise of a new day, of, of a wedding, of marriage. And, and in the midst of engagement, you, you end up spending more time together, right? At least that's what Kat and I did, right? We spent more time together, and we had deeper conversations with one another, and we got to know each other, and our intimacy grew, right? Engagement was wonderful, but it's still just engagement, like, you don't get engaged to stay engaged. You get engaged so one day you won't be engaged any longer. Because in, as good as engagement might be, as better as it was than dating, right, it, you're still going home at the end of the night. And you don't fully know your fiancé, and you're not fully present with them, and you're not fully together, but then the wedding happens. And the marriage begins... And now there's a deeper knowledge that you didn't even know when you were engaged. And there is more intimacy than, than what you could have when you were engaged. And there is a fuller presence. Y'all, every analogy breaks down at some point, but, but you get the point, right? That the presence that was lost in the garden and the presence that is given with the Spirit is the presence that will one day be consummated at Christ's coming. 
It was St. Augustine who said, our hearts are restless until they rest in God, and that rest doesn't fully come until the consummation. Because at Christ's coming, then God will dwell with us now forever. He comes to dwell with us, right? That's not something that we do. We don't go to him. We don't go to him. If, if we were to go to him, if it was left to us, we would never go. Right? We would never go. We would keep fiddling around in this world with sex and drink and momentary pleasures, thinking that this, these will bring the happy ending. But the end comes because God comes to us. And when he comes, we'll dwell with him perfectly, with perfect assurance and perfect security and perfect presence. That is the end that Revelation promises. And when we know this is the end of the story, that this is the happy ending that awaits us, it shouldn't surprise us that John says, come, Lord Jesus. Right? John wants him to come. Right? He's asking him to come. It almost feels like he's begging him to come. Come, Lord Jesus. It shouldn't surprise us that he would call out to him in this way. And so should we. Right? Because the coming of Jesus for those who are in Christ isn't terrifying it's what we long for. It's only terrifying if you don't know Christ, right? I mean, the, the pictures that we have of, uh, of the end of the world, right, that our culture puts forth before us, uh, they're terrifying and they're scary and they're full of fear. And if you are apart from Christ, then that is the case. Later in Revelation 21, it talks about Jesus coming and bringing judgment on those who don't know him, but those who do know him, those who are resting in his grace, his death and his resurrection, to us it's not terrifying, it's glorious. It's the end of the world and I feel fine? No, no, I feel better than fine. Right? It's a time of celebration, of rejoicing. Come, Lord Jesus, that's what John cries. And it's what our hearts and minds, what our bodies and souls cry as well. Come, Lord Jesus, come renew this place and come and restore your people. Come and dwell with us. Come and make all things new. Come, Lord Jesus. Y'all, that is the happiest of happy endings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have promised that you, Lord, you will send our Lord Jesus and that when he comes, he will renew all things. He will make all things new and we will dwell with him forever. We long for that day. And so we together say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, make all things new. And until you come, we ask that you would help us to walk with you, to turn away from our sin, to cling to you, and to look forward to that day when you will come and you will come in glory. Come Lord Jesus, come quickly. And all God's people said together, amen.